Some cults are good, most cults are bad, but I'll tell you what really makes me sad. I can't decide which cult to join. If only there were a podcast out there to rank all the cults using some sort of bracket system like they do for basketball playoffs for college teams. It's madness, madness. Hey, y'all. Hi, you guys. Oh, hey, what's up? Hey, oh, didn't, yeah, uh, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. See there. We're just kind of uh, zoned out because it's... Uh... Yeah. So hot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm I know. It's you're like, "Oh good, they're starting off with the weather again." But you don't know. You do not know. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe you do. Maybe, maybe you uh, do. you're inside this uh, huge band of heat that has settled uh-huh. over the middle of the country and is just staying here mm-hmm. and staying here mm-hmm. and staying here and, and staying here. And maybe you've listened to the show long enough to be like, "Well, they'll probably talk about the weather a little bit right off the top, but it's July." So, as people who like to sit outside yes the weather is very important to us <laughs> because oh, sitting right. outside that's like your other living room right my patio is my other living room You're- and i have been forced into my other living room for a while uh-huh and so it's a big thing you're like well, and the cats aren't happy about it <laughs> Anyway, we'd like to wish our dad a very happy birthday. Yes, it's July birthday. We have several. Our dad, your son, my son, and our yeah. sister-in-law. And our sister-in-law. It's July birthday. So, happy birthday, moon children. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> You're sensitive and moody <laughs> and a pain in my ass. Sometimes. Yes, my ex-wife. I, and I have dated so many cancers. Yes. And then I birthed one, but... Well done. But yeah, it's happy birthday. <clears throat> happy birthday to them. To the Cancers. We're coming up on the cast. Pretty soon it will be Leo season. My birthday's coming up. Anyway. That's right. It's interesting because it will be Leo season. Um, but Brian's birthday is also in August. But he is a Virgo. Is a Virgo. <laughs> this has been astrology astrology. <laughs> if astrology is not real, why are Aries like that? <laughs> no shit. <laughs> We're the fire sign children. I'm a Leo. My sister is an Aries. And our brother is a Sagittarius. And if you would like to know what Leo, Aries, and Sagittarius are like, come to our house because you will see. That's right. I'm going to be combing my hair and telling you what you should do. (laughs) And I'm going to be saying, get up. (laughs) And Matt's going to be like, hey, 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 I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to pick you up. Yeah. That's it. Mm -hmm. Welcome to fun. So, so well, speaking of dad, we have a Vietnam themed letter, do we? Mm-hmm. We have a couple of listener mails. We so have a couple of listener mails. This it? is the first one. This is coming on the heels of our Chris Noel episode. Which was a stunner. Which was super great. And it is from and the Hunley. The Hunley. Um <laughs> This is this is not a Hunley email. This is from my friend Mary Catherine, who's a friend of the show. Longtime friend of the show. Longtime friend of the show. And Mary Catherine's been my longtime friend. And um, I was gonna say longtime friend of Aaron. <laughs> yeah, and sh- I met her in college, and I think that Mary Catherine is like the the only friend I she's well she's one of the few friends that I have and right. um that not to be a pity party I no, like no. I like a small right it's a select group I have it's a select not like group. I don't have many friends it's like mm, I don't have many friends no I'm not currently <laughs> accepting applications but she I met her in class at mm-hmm. OU and she's like the first sort of like stranger that right. I met that has become that became your a friend. lifelong friend that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So what does she have to say? She says, well, hello, Erin and Amanda, the Clay Sister Librarians, a.k.a. my friends. Thank you for the shout out. And thanks, Brian, for thinking I know some things. You you know some things. Yes. China Beach was my favorite TV show in high school. And I say that 
And to say that I was, am, obsessed with the show is probably not an exaggeration. (laughs) It's just so damn good that if I had a better newspaper network support and viewership, it could have been incredible. There are some story inconsistencies and missteps that occurred in part because the producers felt rushed and pressured to cram in a lot of time that they were on the air. But if you ever have a chance to watch it, you should. And forgive them the imperfections because what they were trying to do was so big for the 1980s TV. Yes, yes. And part of me wishes they would remake the series today in today's landscape except nobody but dana delaney could ever be colleen mcmurphy just pull her back in i'm Uh sure she's still good yes china beach was loosely based on the memoir home before morning the story of an army nurse in vietnam by linda van devanter there was a lot of controversy about this book as many people felt van devanter misrepresented nurses and lied about her experiences it was probably guys yeah yeah china (laughs) beach fielded some of these same complaints in the second season the show aired an episode entitled vets although there had been some pushback complaints in show reviews that the stories were unrealistic and wrong the writers had pulled almost verbatim from research they had done with women who were actually there in the episode vets women from the armed services and support organizations recalled their experiences in a documentary format it's a powerful episode and it really proved how truthful the series was in its portrayal of women in vietnam it got rave reviews and likely kept the show on the air for another season nice and yes, Chris Noel was one of the women interviewed in this episode. Oh, is that the one she was The in? clips of the fabulous. singing performances in the show when she's speaking are not of her. They are actresses in previous episodes. Right. And they overlaid clips from earlier episodes that match what the real women were explaining. Again, this was done to shore up the fact that the show was relying almost <laughs> <Look>. exclusively <laughs> on real accounts of women in Vietnam to tell their stories. For anyone who's interested, you can buy the DVD box set, which was released quite a while ago, and there had been music copyrights holding up the release, but eventually most of the songs were approved, and the ones that weren't approved were replaced by with approved songs. Okay, cool. Now, should you ever want to do a show called China Beach, China Beach, just let me know. I am at your disposal. Girl, you will be here. Yes. Exactly. You and Kim. <laughs> and then she says, on a no- other note, and I love this about her, <laughs> I was a little surprised to hear you both call... <laughs> You both call Ukraine a sovereign, independent nation. Sorry. The Ukraine, a compor- conquered and subsumed region of the Russian Empire slash Soviet Union. I'm assuming this was a slip of Generation yes. X era vocab, as I'm sure Aaron is aware of the distinction and assume Amanda, Amanda is as well. Nevertheless, since I was writing anyway, I figured it deserved a mention since yes, it was a very, very important distinction. Love you all as ever, MC. P.S. Let me know when you're coming over for a China Beach binge session. Hell yes. And yes, it was an oversight and it was probably just us tipsy talking loud. So. Mm-hmm. It is. But yes, so, no. We, we love you, Mary Ukraine Catherine. Ukraine is not a sovereign nation, and we love you, Mary Catherine. And we are, uh, m- we got birthdays coming up. Maybe a China Beach box set is is in our future. That's true. Oh, well, I have some uh, reader mail, too. Yay. From our f- librarian pal, Jenny, pronounced Jenny, even though it looks like the penny pasta. <laughs> She's written to us before, but she felt needed to write back in, and it says, "Hello, friends! It's your librarian pal Jenny. Mm-hmm. I've been listening back to some older episodes I missed, and I was so excited to hear you mention Judith Krantz. Mm-hmm. Once again, our childhood reading habits are curiously aligned. The first one I read was Princess Daisy. Oh, me too. Yes." Which I found. In fact, the only Judith Krantz book I've read is I read Scruples. Yeah, you, I remember you read it at Grandma's house, and you're like, why does Grandma have a copy of this book? <laughs> she probably got it from Paula. <laughs> probably. No, it was Grandma Adkins, so oh, God knows yeah, where God she got it. God knows where she got it. Uh, yeah, they always had, like, Mickey Spillane at their house yeah. and shit like that. There were a lot of books, but they were, like, 
None of them were good. What the hell is this? Bingo. Yes. Uh, The first one I read was Princess Daisy, which I found on my parents' bookshelf and adopted as my own. Mm -hmm. It really doesn't seem like my mom's type of thing, so probably someone gave it to her and she never read it. (laughs) My parents were pretty cool about letting us read whatever we wanted, so I don't think they would have minded all the sex in those books, but I also don't think they knew about it. I learned a lot. There was smiley face emoji. A lot of sex in that book. Dude. The Princess Daisy, the lesbian sex scene in Princess Daisy was eye-opening for me. Uh-huh. And I still, like, if you are in a bookstore and hand me a paperback copy of Princess Daisy, I can find the lesbian scene in under 30 seconds. I know exactly how far to open the copy mm-hmm. <laughs> to get it right mm-hmm. there. Has she seen the made-for-TV movie event of Princess Daisy starring Stacey Keach uh, as her dad <laughs> oh, and Rupert Everett. Rupert Everett as her, like, ram, ram the step brother uh-huh who comes in and, and like well you know he yeah. basically assaults her he, you know. he does actually assault her it's not basic but it's all to the tune of um bird dog <laughs> what bird by the dog. everly brothers yes in the sweetest what the f- bird dog what the fuck it's bird. bizarre okay, uh, jenny we will be waiting what the to hell? hear whether you listened to mm-hmm. that. She said, I still believe to this day you could do a lot worse than have someone like Mrs. Krantz as your sex education. She writes about good sex and bad sex and makes it clear which is which. And there's mm-hmm. usually a lesbian awakening scene in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. My friend and I have a project where we make food from books. <gasps> oh, shit. Uh huh. Our second one, after the meat pie from Danny Champion of the World. Yes. <laughs> yes. My favorite was the toast with bacon and strawberry jam from Scruples 2. <laughs> and she get we will publish her master, Billy's masterpiece of empty calories is her blog fantastic and we will that. it says oh and also i listened to the piltdown man episode and you mentioned clan of the cave bear books <laughs> speaking of sex speaking of sex they were not great no no but our family had one of those giant dodge vans with the captain's chairs that we used for road trips and nice. in the basket of books in the back where the kids rode there was a copy of mammoth hunter <laughs> hello <laughs> I did not enjoy looking at scenery, so I would read that book over and over again. God bless you for not getting car sick, man. My favorite part was when she had to come up with thoughtful gifts for all the clan members to win them over. I believe that's when she invents hand lotion. Uh, and then the she hell? says, sex and shopping, Jenny. <laughs> Fucking, you know who loved Clay of the Cave Bear books? My mother-in-law. Oh. That's true, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. I know, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Does she love them more or less than she loves Richard Chamberlain? Less. No one, no one but Richard Chamberlain. I know. Yeah, no, I know. No. Yeah, yeah. Behind what, her mild exterior beats <laughs> the burning heart of a Dr. Kildare fan. <laughs> Dr. Kildare fan. Thorn birds, yes. ladies and gentlemen. Thorn I read thorn birds. I have a lot to say about thorn birds. Um, what was the other one? Oh, like not, I mean, a while ago. Uh-huh. I was like, I'm going to read Clan of the Cape Bear again. See, oh, God, no. I, I couldn't even do it. Not even for like fun. Not, not even for the lols. I'm just. You know what we should rent and watch? Lace. <laughs> Starring Phoebe K. Lace. I've got that book on my shelf okay. right now. <laughs> Which one of you, you bitches, bitches is my mother? mother? The best part about Lace is the contemporary fashions <laughs> the contemporary um fashion right it's like well she was wearing a beige cashmere cloak <laughs> like <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> knickers knickers <laughs> yes 
and just Famillari boots, gigantic glasses. Well, like her uh, Jenny's uh, food from books blog. Uh-huh. I briefly, <laughs> yes, you did. Have yes, my Tumblr, and it's called "What Did Princess Daisy Wear?" And it's yes. my own illustrations of Princess Daisy. Yes. Outfits. Oh my god, I still got around here somewhere. All right, that's I'll... our teaser. This, there we go. <laughs> that dress that her mom wears to get pregnant with it's like the the underskirt was fuchsia, and then all it was the, like all the layers yes. left in the floor of a stable. <laughs> I didn't draw that one, but I did draw her paper, uh, Paco Rabanne dress. The Biba paper dress. The Biba paper dress. And what about her, like, green tweed suit? And her green tweed suit. With the emerald it, it's a, her It's an Elsa Schiaparelli suit. Okay, yes. There was a couple more, but yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll need one of those up this week. I also, <laughs> yes. speaking of Princess Daisy, fashioned myself budding seamstress that i was uh, yes yes an imitation princess daisy outfit where what how old how old were you with with this oh happened? this was two weeks ago brian no <laughs> Did you not notice? i would remember it <laughs> we're wearing i think room. i was maybe would have talked about it by now i think i was maybe 12 or 13 okay that's that's acceptable it was maybe 12 or 13 and in the book daisy is wearing um, like ballet flats yes. and like white silk stockings and like black velvet knickers, knickers and yes. like a frock coat. Yes, she is. And with like a lacy jabot, jabot. shirt. <laughs> so I took a pair of black pants that I had and like cut them off and like hemmed them with my elastic, using my <laughs> elastic skills, hemmed them and I had some ballet flats. And then I had this, I don't know, I got it from you, I'm yeah, certain, I'm sure. but it was like, like a cropped black jacket yes and i remember i wore it when we went to grandma and grandpa's clay 50 grandma and grandpa's yes, place 50th, 50th wedding anniversary. anniversary at that place in arkansas i was like i'm dressing up you did and i wore a dress that i bought from pier one back uh-huh. when they actually had weird, fun import stuff and uh-huh. you could get cool clothes there and it was this black dress with blue roses on it mm-hmm. and i had my hair in a you could pull it back with a bow and a net yes a lace net, so like, a a little little like a little chanon chanon i had my hair all pulled up in the chanon man the 80s <laughs> man Damn. It was good times. Oh, was yes. good to, I felt so, like I was extreme hot shit in that outfit. Exactly. You were like, and I, had, I was transitioning out of my goth phase mm-hmm. and into like post goth, but I had no idea what to buy because I've never had any fashion sense. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> so then you end up with shenons and shit. Let me tell you. Snoods. <laughs> Snoods. But thank you. Thank you, Jenny. I can, I'm going to go check out your blog because making food from books sounds like a fantastic yes. idea. And I love Danny Champion of the world. Yes. So there we go. All right, Amanda, you are going first. I am going first. As a little programming note, so that we can surprise each other, when we come up with our topics every week, Aaron and I text our dad what we're doing, and he lets us know if there's a conflict, which there hasn't been so far. Mm-hmm. But this week, when we texted him, he texted us back and says, sounds like it's going to be a wild week, girls. Oh, so, shit. I am very excited. Yeah, whenever I texted him mine, he's like, yeah, I never heard of that one. <laughs> <laughs> So, Aaron, yes. if a fireman and a clown got in a fight, who do you think would win? <laughs> the clown. <laughs> what if I told you these are 1855 firemen and clowns? Oh, definitely the clown. Yeah. <laughs> what if I tell you the IRA is involved? Ah, Jesus, more uh, IRA. All no, bets no, no. are off. <laughs> Today I, bring I thought you- they were cops, not yeah. firemen. <laughs> Today I bring you the story of the Toronto Circus Riot. <gasps> Oh, shit. Yes. Of 1855. So, 
On the night of Thursday, the 12th of July, 1855, a clown and a fireman walk into a brothel. (laughs) This is not a joke. (laughs) No, for real. (laughs) That's why I wore my t-shirt with a clown. I just need that. (laughs) Did the poodle and the Dalmatian get into a fight? Oh, bitch. Yes. So, yeah, this is the and this is the story of how Toronto became the city that it is today. And we will end with a personal story of Toronto. Oh, fantastic. So, oh, my God. <laughs> so this is the summer of 1855. Toronto is a hot, young, fast-growing city. At that point, 40,000 people lived there. Mm-hmm. New immigrants were flooding, all, uh, flooding in all the time. Many of these immigrants were from Ireland, but just because you're from Ireland doesn't mean you'll get along, as we will see. No. Nope. They're a famously combative people. Yeah. <laughs> With, uh, so the very first railways. <laughs> yeah, they hate it when you colonize their home. They <laughs> do. Uh, pe- people do. <laughs> people hate it when you do that. I don't know why. I know, yeah. It's just hurts. like, yeah. So well, the- don't you guys like England? <laughs> Hello. Hello. We're bringing you wool clothing. <laughs> it's one of my very favorite parts of Shogun is they're like, there's all kinds of good stuff in the ship. Oh, and all this wool clothing. We yeah, just like, it away. We just burned wool it. Cloth. We checked it away. <laughs> Nothing we can do with it, like, at all. At all. It's like we can't even pad the pig's ties with it. We don't have pigs. So anyway, the very first railways were starting up. Population was growing fast, but it was still kind of the wild, wild west. Mm-hmm. To- Tales of the Canadian West Tales- by Jeanette Oak. <laughs> Her sex is just too much for me. (laughs) No, she does not. Gentle Christian romance. She does. I know that Jeanette Oak does not have sex in her. She does not. Toronto is known as a fairly safe and normal city today. Canada will tell you how safe it is. I'll just asterisk that. But anyway, it was a super wild at the time. Mm -hmm. They did not have a regulated police force, really. Was Canada a country at this point? Canada was a country. Canada has been a country for a while. And they were. But they were still a young, growing country. Mm-hmm. They had a their police force and their fire department were, as for many cities at that as they started off, kind of loosely more volunteery organizations. Right. right. Uh, the chief of police was a former tavern owner who got the job because of political connections. What? Hey, huh? What? Seems legit. The police constables were reported by city councilors. No training required. Oh, no. wow. Yeah. Firefighters also unregulated, untrained. Firemen at that time were known as rowdies. Right. And the fire brigades would were formed basically by got, groups of friends who were like, hey, let's be a fire brigade. And then they'd <laughs> hang out together in the evenings drinking. Waiting, <laughs> waiting for the bell to ring. Waiting for yes. a fire. And then... All the volunteer fire departments would race each other to the fire. So you got there first, yeah. Right. The volunteer drinking departments would race each other to the fire. (laughs) And their pump wagons. (laughs) And there was more than one instance of the buildings burning to the ground while drunk rowdies fist fought in front of the street, out in the street. (laughs) Fist fought? Nope. Not that one. (laughs) So these are the the firemen half of our our exciting fire. It's nice that the buildings were mostly made of tar paper, too. So true. Uh, The clowns entering the brothel that evening <laughs> were from S.B. Howe's Star Troop Menagerie oh, and Circus. <laughs> and I looked him up. We're going to have a, a brief sidebar. Yes, what's that face, Aaron? You, I mean, they probably weren't in their makeup, but, <laughs> but you must 
Look, just, you can only I, picture them. No, for I the, am dressed as a fireman. I am dressed, dressed as a clown. For the purposes of this story. You must assume them to be all. Right. Yes. But it's also 1855 firemen and clowns. <laughs> So the clowns all have just like a little tuft of hair on top of their head and right. wearing leotards and stuff like that. It's <laughs> just like a fucked up Piro it, kind of thing. Uh, yes. <laughs> so yes, we're going to do a small sidebar on S.B. Howe. Mm-hmm. He was a circus manager and showman and I watched a video called Historic Putnam County and the Birth of the American Circus from the Putnam County mm-hmm. Historian's Office in Putnam County, New York. Okay. I got to see some excellent old newspaper clippings mm-hmm. and there was... Oh, man. There was one article about equestrian performance. <laughs> which sorry, included what? This, uh, the sentence, Master Ricketts hangs by one leg and sweeps the plume of his cap upon the ground. Bill Ricketts. Sweep. Hooted and giggled in my own home. It's never not funny. <laughs> equestrian. It's never, never not, not funny. funny. It must Sweeping. fizzle. It must fizzle. So anyway. Seth Benedict Howard, <laughs> like the early 80s. was also good. When he was 11, he joined his brother Nathaniel as an equestrian act. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But after a while, they was he, was he riding a horse? <laughs> riding a horse. An Appaloofa? <laughs> no, a Mustang. A Mustang. Mustang. <laughs> but after a while, he wanted something more. So he and Nathaniel left the ring and started their own dang circus. The Great United States Circus began touring bad name. in 1831, and it was the biggest circus in America at the time. Mm-hmm. That anyone could prove. <laughs> yeah, I read a lot about him. Several people said that he was the first priest to bring an elephant to the United States, but then I read other no. ones, so I'm not... There are some things that he did do early and first, but uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, the stuff I read about this article and also the Putnam County Historian's Office acted like he was a much bigger deal in circus history than he, he was. Right, because, like, <laughs> we know a lot about we circus history. We know a lot history, of circus history. And, and I'm like, never I heard think of I recognize yeah. that name. But uh, So, yes. Uh, well, see, that's because you haven't read Howard Zinn's A People's Circus History of the United States. <laughs> see, you're right. We haven't. You're right, I haven't. So Seth B. is, like I said, he's not necessarily, people said he was the first one to bring an elephant, no. but I disagree. But he was the first person to approach New York Curiosities exhibitor P.T. Barnum. Oh, really? Oh, oh. Hey, you should come with the circus, and along with your showbiz captive, Tom Thumb. <laughs> <laughs> he coaxed Chang and Ang, the Siamese twins, out Whoa. of retirement. Oh, retirement from being sideshow Do I remember they got married to two sisters and fathered a bajillion children? They did. Yeah. They did. Uh, he they comes, got, they, like they'd gotten unjoined, but then they got conjoined again to go back on the road. That, that was it. They had tried no, to retire. They were just, no. It was just like a band of... It's, it's, yes, their surgery, they could be set. The Hilton sisters could not be separated. Because they had like the same no. pelvis and spine. They were, but Chang Ling was like, you could do it as an outpatient surgery today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, today. But yeah. like at the time, like, it's like the blood vessels were just like right. so massive. Like, and we they can't were do like, anything. They shared a liver. Yeah. And they're like, you'll die. And and it's like, you will just bleed out right now. Right. But he coaxed them out of retirement. He employed famed clown Dan Rice, 
who, if you know about circus history, you've heard of Dan Rice, and he is the one whose look has been said to be the inspiration for Uncle Sam. Dan Rice, the oh, clown, had I a big see. beard and a red, white, and blue hat, and like a red, white, and blue stars okay. and stripes. Guitar. I'm, I'm just going to let the idea of like the whole image of Uncle Sam being ripped off from a clown just sit there, and uh, I'm going to let that joke make itself. It's clown night here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> also, in 1864, he went to England and purchased some of the elaborately gorgeously carved and painted bandwagons. Yes. And oh. incorporated those into his circus parade, which then became incorporated into all, all American circuses, circuses mm-hmm. and circus parades. That, wow. I know what you're talking about, that big bandwagon. He died in 1901. He's buried in Brewster, New York, and his big stone mausoleum has on the ground around it a big brass circus ring. Nice. So very cool. Okay, so on the night of July 12th, 1855, a cluster of clowns... I made up that... No, I I made that up, but I did look up the actual collective nouns for clowns, and my favorite was a shudder. Oh, wow. Shudder of clowns. (laughs) So this is... (laughs) Shudder of clowns... Oh, God. <laughs> Entered Mary Ann oh, no. Armstrong's House of Scandalous Fun <coughs> on King Street in Toronto. Oh, my God. <laughs> the circus was in town for two days. So Just, that, well, you got to well. get it all So in. that night, the clowns had off. Usually, you have to, like, break down and pack up mm-hmm. and move on, That's but they right. were off that evening. So the clowns were looking for some fun. Oh, my Decided God. to take advantage of the local nightlife. So they picked the brothel and settled in, but it seems they picked the wrong one. Because this one was the hangout for the men in the local volunteer fire brigade called the Hook and Ladder Firefighting Company. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As I have said before, volunteer fire departments were orgs for brawlers to drink again in fights. And indeed, <laughs> just a few weeks earlier, this same Hook and Ladder Brigade had arrived at a fire on Church Street at the same time as another fire brigade. Uh, a fight broke out, and the firemen rioted in the street while the building burned. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to be like a dummy here, but I was like, what if you just both put out the fire? fire? Yeah, no. Look. Well, the, when the police showed up, did they make them get along and put out the fire? No. No, they started fighting with the fuck firemen. the police! <laughs> you know, I say that there's no songs about fuck the fire department, but maybe there maybe should be. this time. In the end, the firemen were charged <laughs> with assault. The batter, battle became known as the Fireman's Riot. So this now, like... just like eight guys. <laughs> literally two weeks later... <laughs> Two gangs of half-drunk, testosterone-driven young men are packed together in a small building full of attractive and available young women. Nothing will go wrong. Absolutely not. It's Toronto. (laughs) No one seems to agree on how the fight at the brothel got started. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. Some blame a loudmouth clown. Probably. Some say the clown's cut in line. (laughs) Some say the the clown knocked a hat off a fireman's head. (gasps) But this much is Stag-o-lee. clear. That's what happened in Stagolee, man. Oh. <laughs> what this much is clear. That night, the clowns kicked the firefighters' asses. <laughs> right, because those clowns were like road entertainers. Right? <laughs> yeah. I, my, my other job is loading and unloading an entire tent. Okay. Okay. Jesus. At least two of the firemen were seriously injured and had to be dragged out of the brothel to safety. Picked with giant <laughs> shoes. <laughs> they were across the room <laughs> kicking some guy in the I'm, ribs. I'm, <laughs> I'm only sad that the clowns won so that we can't make a joke about how many clowns they can get in an ambulance. Oh, but how many clowns oh. can you get in a fire truck? Oh. The hook and ladder crew retreated, and for the rest of the nights, the clowns drank and whored in peace. <laughs> But of course, God. it wasn't over yet. It was not. 
not over yet. It was not over yet. Those firemen have a lot of friends. And some of those friends were the police. Mm -hmm. Because, as no coincidence would have it, the police, the firemen, and much of the city council were all members of the Orange Orange Order. Order. I'm about to have a little sidebar. Fuck. Motherfuckers. What's worse than the IRA? The Orange Order. Thanks for asking. They all hung out together at the Orange Lodge. They made sure the other Orange men got all the important city jobs, the police, the firefighters. Usually they focused on beating up Catholics, but they were willing to make an exception for clowns. <laughs> I thought they were Catholics. No, no, not the Orange Order. Okay. So here we have, a, have to have a slight Orange Order sidebar, and I'm, oh, yeah, it's going to be super mind. brief because I will miss a lot of things because they could be their entire own episode. For more info on the fascinating history of Ireland, please listen to episode 29 or watch Dairy Girls. Yeah. Or there's a podcast called Ireland, Ireland. <laughs> starting later. So the Orange Order is a Protestant organization based in Northern Ireland and named after William of Orange. Orange. I'm a dummy. King of England, Ireland, and Scotland. Suck it, Wales, I guess. Uh, <laughs> he was also like King of the, the Netherlands. Netherlands. Yes. Because he's the William England. of William and Mary. Yes. He's England, Ireland, Scotland, and the Netherlands. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's pro-Britain, anti-Irish nationalism, it promotes biblical Protestantism, ah! principles of the Reformation. The order only accepts those who confess a belief in the Protestant religion. Uh, it, as well as Catholics, they also don't like Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Unitarians, Quakers. You can't just be Protestant. You have to be the right kind of Protestant. Right. Yes. Well, I mean, like Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, I'll I'll give you that. What's Seventh-day Adventists? I know it's a different time, but I don't know a Unitarian uh, today who would be that interested in joining the Orange Order. I can't imagine. And if you have anything to add in, Brian, like I said, this is a super quick crossover because it could be its own episode. (laughs) In the 19th century, many Irish Republicans regarded the Orange Order as a front group established by Unionist Masons. As more probably. Because it totally was. Right. Uh, And some anti-Masonic evangelical Christian groups have claimed that the Orange Order is still influenced by Freemasonry. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. They have big parades. The asshole parades. Uh, uh, The asshole parades. Yes, I said to commemorate the Battle of the Boyne and stuff, mostly to walk around and be provocative and stir up shit. I saw a recent clip. I don't know if it was a recent clip. Like, I recently Recently saw saw a a clip of... The Orange Order Parade, and they went past a house that had the Irish flag hanging out the uh-huh. window, and you just saw, it was like filmed from like across the street, uh-huh. and you just saw the guy come out of the house and pick up his trash can and throw it <laughs> at the Orange Order, <laughs> at the parade, Yes, and then like everybody came up and like ooh, ran to his ooh. door, like the cops and stuff like that, oh. and they were like... This is like the caption said it was like it's like basically like the slave owners parading through town. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's like, remember when we owned you? Clang, clang. <laughs> yes. Yes. And it's just pure dickishness. It's just it's, it's, it's just it's, assholes. There is, it's it's fucking indefensible. Indefensible dickishness. And they deserve to get their asses kicked. Yeah. For no reason. Yes. Ten times out of ten. God, it's the most English thing you could ever Possibly do. Uh, IRA is bad, but and, England is worse. And oh. the Toronto was the epicenter of Canadian Orangeism. And indeed, for a while, was known as the Belfast of Canada. Oh, wow. shit. Yes. I did not know that. Most of the mayors were orange. Uh, Toronto Orangemen battled against Ottawa-driven initiatives like by Bilingualism and Catholic immigration. Fuck those French people. The Toronto Lodge has held an annual Orange Parade since 1821, and they claim it to be the longest-running consecutive parade on the North American continent. 
Well, yeah, good we don't for, do that. Good shit job, in the buddy. <laughs> Boston. <laughs> no, no, Boston is absolutely They're not Catholic Boston. Not yeah. where you would have They're a horse parade. Right. Well, they could if they wanted to just like get their asses kicked. That would be fun. That would be fun. The other yeah, day I, I was nobody buses. fights in Boston anymore. You know. <laughs> I think Ben Affleck work on that. Um, the other day I had a great I was flipping around on my uh, satellite radio and on the 90s I had the best fucking run of three songs I had been caught stealing yes then I had jump around yes and then I had uh, baby got back nice. it was like that nice is, that is an extremely 90s triumvirate it right was there really it good. is it is okay mm-hmm. so so yes Cypress Hill <laughs> the whole of Toronto at the Cypress Hill I'm looking at you <laughs> Toronto at this time was fraught I tell you the city had a lot of Irish Catholics but the government and police and fire were all Protestants it's well, so nice they could reestablish that it's you know nice that they can reestablish but this is also sort of basically taking place in the Wild West also true yeah, yeah. yeah. you know because the Canadian West is the Wild West the Wild West Canada was the frontier so, and since the uh, government and police and fire were Protestants they spent a lot of time and energy being shitty to the Catholics because that's an excellent use of government resources mm-hmm. anyway but, okay, so the clowns beat the shit out of the firemen and yes. forced them to retreat from the brothel. Back to what's important. Many <laughs> of those clowns are Irish. <laughs> the firemen were not going to let this. Absolutely not. The next day, the firemen gathered other firemen friends and went down and started to gather around the circus tents. Oh, shit. Oh, my yes. God. Finally, something we can agree on. After getting As their asses whooped by the out-of-town clowns, the firemen... Out-of-town clowns is our new band. Out-of-town yes. clowns. That's our new t-shirt. Out-of-town clowns. <laughs> Fuck. The firemen of the Hook and Ladder Company wanted revenge, and we're going to get it. The troop had pitched their tents at the Fair Green mm-hmm. on the waterfront, just a few blocks east of like the St. Lawrence Market, the farmer's mm-hmm. market. Farmers and merchants had set up stalls because it was like it's market, market day. day. Right. The firemen first went to the market and went around to all the stalls and told everybody to leave because there was about to be trouble. What like, the Dude, fuck? This is like my living. I was like, <laughs> I have to sell my corn, sir. Um, hello. Like, you Are you going to may- buy my corn? Do you think maybe you could just like, I don't know, make an effort to not fuck my shit up over yeah, here? I was going to say, could, could you, you beat him up on the other side there? of the <laughs> Instead, dude. No. What am I going to do with all these eggs? <laughs> Stretch Seriously. This is not going to last. It's July, okay? Ah. It's Canada, but, <laughs> but it is July. This cheese has been eaten by mosquitoes. According to the report, the police knew this shit was going down, but the Did chief not of give police a fuck. was an orangeman, because that's how he got to be chief of police, and was in no rush to get down there and break up anything. He dragged his feet for as long as he could. Finally, he sent like two constables down. God damn it. By the time they got there, shit was going down. People were throwing rocks. People were duking it out. The circus performers and the carnies were able to hold off the firemen mob for a while, but they were outnumbered. Yes. And eventually the crowd overwhelmed them. And when the actual hooks and ladders showed up, Hell broke loose. They stormed the circus tents with like their pikes and, and their axes. Ripped the tent. Ripped the tent. They set fire to the tents. The fire department uh, set fire to the circus tents. Wow. God. They beat clowns wow. to pulp. Some people dove into the lake to get away. Shit. Finally, the the mayor had to come you down. Bitch. 
He came down to the fair green in person. He literally took an axe. A fireman was about to chop the head off of a oh clown. Oh, my God. What the fuck? for joke. No, not for joke. Mayor oh grabbed God. the axe, wrestled it out of his hands. The mayor. The mayor. Yes. <laughs> he, 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 then he called in the militia. Right. And the militia was like, chill this out. He calmed down the firemen. The circus performers took their shit and fled Blood. town because yeah. that's all they could do. Well, no shit. Yes. Well, they didn't even have any shit left. You're right. They took whatever they could find. They The one thing that was good is that the firemen refused to attack the animals. Well, that was nice That was them. very nice. They were intent on the clown. It was like, <laughs> those elephants did nothing to us. Those, yeah, the tigers did nothing to us. We'll leave them alone. Oh, my God. The police did nothing. No. They came down and watched. Even Chief Sherwood eventually showed up, but only he said that he oh, he stopped them uh, other people from setting fire to the animal cages. Mm-hmm. Of the 17 people who were arrested and charged, only one was ever convicted because all of the police who were there claimed that they couldn't remember oh. anything. Oh, great. They didn't know the names of any of the firefighters were there. Uh, all the circus folk were gone. They, they, they nabbed one circus guy and arrested him, and he's the one that got in trouble. Mm-hmm. And the firefighters got off scot-free, and the circus was gone. But this riot had a surprising and unintended consequence, which I think is very interesting. Circuses are now banned, banned in Toronto. from Toronto <laughs> as our fire departments. Yes, no <laughs> Neither circus fire nor fire department will ever set up a shop <laughs> in, in Toronto. Oh, God, God is my witness. I'll never fight a fire in this town again. <laughs> The so. Protestant God, mind you. <laughs> Not that clown God. Nope. Clown <laughs> <laughs> God. Clown God. The citizens of Toronto were not necessarily excited about clown fights and brothels. Yeah. But the absolute kangarooness of the court where the police chief and all of the firemen and all the policemen are like, we don't know. And they're like, are you fucking kidding They me? finally said, are you fucking kidding me? And the whole city got angry. An inquest was launched, and in the end, the entire police department was fired. Yay! Yes. And a new force was created from scratch. They fired a lot of policemen and firemen, and they hired everybody, and it took 100 years but the Orange Order stranglehold on Toronto politics oh. was broken by this clown nice. riot. Nice. Because after that, the people were like, no, dicks. You are, <laughs> you are here to serve us. You're here to serve us. You ran all the farmers out of the farmer's market so that your friends could beat up clowns. Because <laughs> somebody got his hat knocked off at the whorehouse last <laughs> yeah. night. Yeah. You are not my mayor. I need more than this. I need this. you to fuck off. I need you also, to this off. is Canada. You don't need to be bringing that shit over here. here. We came over here for a reason. Get away from you. You. Oh, Jesus. So I'm going to finish this story with my own testimonial tale of the safety of Toronto and being out alone all night in that city. Yes. And this is a very fun story. And I didn't have to write it down because I fucking know it. So um, when I graduated from high school in 1987, my girlfriend and I and our older friend bought tickets to almost all of the Cure tour shows paying up to $17 the, the most ticket. expensive ticket was Madison Square Garden and it was $19 and we were incensed that we would pay who the fuck would pay $19 to go to a concert at Madison Square Garden the cheapest one was 650 and was <laughs> yes. at a Shriner 
uh, at a like Masonic temple in Philadelphia. Nice. <laughs> oh my god! And we did. We bought. The Cure was an established band. The Cure was an established band. This was their biggest tour ever. We had seen them the year before at the Bronco Bowl in Dallas, which was literally a bowling alley with a little theater at the back. Yeah. <laughs> and then the yeah. next year they played at the Dallas, like Texas Stadium. Uh-huh. So this was big. They'd made their big jump mm-hmm. up, and that summer. We got, me and Jesse got tickets to almost all of the shows. You worked at Target. I worked at Target and saved my cash. Yes. In a Tootsie Roll bank. Yes, you did. Yes. Um, Jesse did the ticket buying for us because her mother would let her use the credit, her, her mom's oh, yeah. credit card. And so she would call on the phone to like. Bronco Bowl. Bronco Bowl. Busy signal, hang up, redial. Busy signal, hang up, redial. Busy signal, hang up, redial. Busy signal. Oh, they answered. Now I can order my tickets. Mm-hmm. She did this for all of the cities across the. I could. <laughs> you were working at Target, and she was Seattle, on Seattle, San Francisco, Sandy. I could like. I could name them. Tulsa, all. Austin, Oklahoma, Oklahoma City. City. No, we're in Oklahoma. <laughs> um, we didn't go to. There were four shows we didn't get tickets to because of logistics and because. Uh, like time because we were on the fucking Greyhound bus Mm -hmm. and so there was one in we didn't see them at Red Rocks yeah Uh, Detroit we had no place to stay we were staying with friends pen pals we had a little bit of money for a motel room occasionally but we didn't have anybody to stay with in Detroit or Toronto and so our parents said you can't go there it's too dangerous to just stop. Detroit, yeah. yeah, Detroit in 1987, yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's like no, go get shanked. Um, <clears throat> so we were like, we won't. <laughs> uh, we didn't go to Toronto. I mean, we didn't go to Detroit, but because it was really because it was well because we couldn't. But Jesse and I totally got tickets to the Toronto show because Ruth had gone. She left us for a while on the tour to go someplace else and then mm-hmm. came back. So it's just me and Je- I'm. I turned 18 that day yes. at midnight and she was 16. 16. Right. So here we are, the two of us alone. Into, I'm 18, but I'm really not no. 18. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, social emotionally, I'm like 14 and from Oklahoma City. Hi. Mm-hmm. We're in Toronto. David, or mom and dad and Karen, Jesse's mom, don't know we're here. <gasps> we lied to them. This is before cell phones and stuff. And it's like, every few days, we'll call you from a pay phone. I'm trying to imagine my child doing this. No now. fucking shit. The fact that your parents were like, deuces, bye. bye. I asked dad later. I was like, how'd you let us do this? He's like, we couldn't have stopped you. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no. Ooh. So we go to the show and in Toronto at Blue Jay Stadium. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> it was the second after the uh, Oakland rate. The whoever the baseball team is in the Bay Area, the Giants. Giants, yeah. Mm-hmm. There were two concerts where we literally had to sit outside a baseball game and wait for the baseball game to get out and for them to clean up before we could then go in. And oh watch God! The nice. And this was 1987, and so like when you're a, a goth chick sitting outside, everybody who walks by you is like faggot, satanist. Yeah. What the fuck is wrong with you? Oh, you're sexy, are you? I mean, like. Every person who walks by you is like, we're children. We're children. I know everybody looks like, I have kindergartners with pink hair these days, but you literally used to get beaten up. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so we were there. We weren't supposed to be there. We were like, we'll, after the show, we'll go back to the bus station, get back on the bus, and sleep on the bus on our way to, the, to Montreal, which mm-hmm. is where we were going next. After the show, we go to get on the tram to get to the bus station and the there's so many people waiting to get on the tram mm-hmm. that we just were like we're not going to make the bus and we were like shit 
it has become my birthday at midnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we're like, okay, when we finally get our time on the tram, it's too late to get, we go to the bus station, the bus station is closed. Some bus stations are open all night and you can go in and sit there. Yeah. But this one you could not. And we we're like, shit. It's downtown. We're hungry. <laughs> we're hungry. It is midnight. Our bus leaves at 7 a.m. Mm. We are alone in a city. <laughs> so we start walking. We, just, we're just, we're just, just going to walk into We get to a bus station. We watch some people get in a fight at a bus station. At this, It's not a bus station. Excuse me. It's a bus stop. Okay. Yeah. And we see a bus stop. Uh, and then right about that bus stop, we meet this guy who's like also waiting for the bus and he's like hey y'all look cool and we're like okay and so he's just like he's like a frat dude kind of Mm -hmm. and he's walking along with us down at the end we're downtown toronto at the end of a street we see a big neon sign we walk towards the neon sign and it says fran's famous spaghetti open 24 hours oh god we're like yes (laughs) so we go into fran's famous spaghetti it looks like the Stork Club. It's like this old-fashioned oh looking God. building. Oh, my God. It is completely packed with people. Right. The yes. three of us go and find a corner table, and we're like, we're going to ride this fucker out. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, dude, but we're I would here. like another Dr. Pepper, please. Thank you. <laughs> yes. I, that was the year I started drinking coffee. So we started drinking coffee and eating spaghetti. We're talking to this guy. He... He flips over his placemat at one point and draws a big square and lines it. And he's like, all right, so can y'all name the provinces of Canada? How are we talking about this? All right, so we did as well as we could. And then he, he was like, no, well, you missed this one and this one. So I was like, can you name the 50 states? And he was like, no. So, <laughs> can you name five of them? Yeah, can you name any of the states? New York no, the Cal- middle ones. The yeah. middle ones. New York, California, yeah. and Florida don't count. Don't count. Nor does Texas. Nor does Texas. Or Maine. <laughs> um so we're there and we're there all night. Let's see. Uh, we watched two drag queens get into a slug fight over some guy named Tony. Oh, yeah. Yes. I do remember this story. Mm-hmm. At one point, I went down to the bathroom was downstairs and I went downstairs to the bathroom, which was completely empty except for a girl dressed as a bellhop, like an old school <laughs> call for Philip yes. Morris bellhop. And she's like, that was a wild fight, wasn't it? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I went upstairs. I never saw her. She was never in the restaurant. She wasn't Dude, in the bathroom. She was when a I, fucking ghost. ghost. The ghost of the bellhop She's in the a bathroom. Ghost of the bellhop. Yes. And so eventually the sun came up and we made it back to the Greyhound station and we got on our bus and we got to Montreal. And it wasn't until many years later that I told that. <laughs> Actually, yeah, we were. And it was kind of scary for a minute, but at no point did I feel in danger. Did the guy stay with you? He stayed with us until, yeah, until sunrise. That was nice of him. Yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't a creep. I don't know who he was. He'd. Just maybe if he, maybe he was like, these girls maybe need some help. Maybe. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah. Or just like, you look like fun. Whatever. Yeah. But yeah, the guy hung out with us in the France famous spaghetti open 24 hours until the sun came up and we that's, went back to the bus station. That's lovely. Amazing. So that's my tale of Toronto and why it is such a safe city. Thanks to the fine, fine clowns who ran the Orange Order out of Toronto. Yay! You're welcome. I think my next project is to write uh, a ballad of the Edmund Fitz, wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald-esque song about this clown fight. I think you should. Brian, you've said it out loud, and so now it's real. That's so. right. We're speaking it into reality. The clown fight of downtown Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. There was some... 
I can't remember. Some dumb fuck right wing politician tweeted something, and Lake Superior tweeted something in rebuttal to them. Oh yeah, yes, I that's right. What it was? I remember that. And too. then finally, somebody was like, "Man, Lake Superior hasn't wrecked anybody like this since the Edmund Fitzgerald." <laughs> <laughs> nice. That was great. That, that was good. amazing. That's good. <laughs> good. So that is the Toronto Circus Riot. That is amazing. And the Orange Order. Fantastic. Well. Yeah. During halftime, yes. we're going to. Um, I'm going to think about this. Well, going to rewrite the boys are back in town to be about clowns. <laughs> the clowns are back in town. The clowns are back in town. <laughs> <laughs> I got some numbers yeah. from some out of town clowns, and oh. so um, <laughs> out of town clowns. It's cool. Contact us at madnessmadness.com slash out of town clowns slash out of town clowns. So, okay, Amanda, I want to hear another story. Yeah, I've got one. Oh yeah, Amanda. Yes. Do you like bachelor lady teachers who share rooms? Fuck yes. <laughs> like, I'm kind of, it's kind of foundational. All right. <laughs> Bitch, what's my name? <laughs> Do you like tableaus vivant? <laughs> oh, I love a tableau vivant. <laughs> Do you like Marie Antoinette? <gasps> to an extent, sure. Okay, well, I've got the story for you. Today, I am talking about the Moberly Jourdain incident, a.k.a. the Versailles time slip. The Versailles time slip. What? Fantastic. I was like, oh my God, please don't know about this. Please don't know about this. Oh my God, that's the one where blah, blah, blah. Ah, Rage. No. There's a blue box scene outside Versailles. Right. (laughs) We're into the time slip. slip. So, (laughs) who were Moberly and Jourdain? Let's start with Mo- oh, automatons, clearly. <laughs> yes. They uh, were no fewer now than that, Speaking four of automatons, like, Polish hang soldiers. on a minute. Oh, okay. Because, I mean, like, I can circle back a little bit. Okay. Let's start with Moberly. Uh, Charlotte Ann Elizabeth Moberly was born... That sounds very familiar. Go ahead. ...was born September 16th, 1846 in Winchester as the 10th child of 15. Oh, ow. In a family a of religious academics. I don't know if that's an official thing or not, but her dad, George Moberly, was a cleric and headmaster, headmaster of Winchester College and later served as the Bishop of Salisbury. Right. And his wife had no b- access to birth control right. and got to give birth to 15 children. Mm-hmm. The family Ta-da. was devout but liberal mm-hmm. and remembered for their habits of fun, games, and habitual merriment, animation, and playfulness. Shapes. Yes. Ritual merriment. Exactly. Annie, as Charlotte was called, and who we will call from now on, she's Annie. Okay. She was educated at home, but like adjacent to academia, and she was able so, to. So, like, possibly a good education. <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, by of. attending her brother's lessons, she learned yeah, Latin. Okay, there you go. Latin, New Testament Greek, which is the version of Greek written and spoke, which is the version of written and spoken Greek used during the Roman and Byzantine era. Correct. Which I had to look up. Um, and Hebrew. 
Annie went to work as her father's secretary in 1869 when he became the Bishop of Salisbury, and she remained in that unpaid job for the rest of his life, (laughs) eventually becoming his primary caregiver, um, you know, towards the end. She became excellent at making steaks with mushroom gravy. Delicious. (laughs) Um, When he died in 1885, Annie and her two unmarried sisters moved to a dull street with their mother to continue their life of genteel poverty. And dullness. Oh, God. But later that same year, Annie was contacted by a woman named Elizabeth Wordsworth, great niece of William, and sister of the new Bishop of Salisbury <laughs> and principal of Lady Margaret Hall, which is one of the first two women's colleges in Oxford. Okay, yes. It's named after Lady Margaret Beaufort, who was Henry the... Seventh's mother, okay. or maybe Henry VIII's mother. Anyway, Elizabeth asked Annie to preside over St. Hugh's Hall, which was a small offshoot of Lady Margaret Hall for students who couldn't afford Lady Margaret <laughs> tuition. Ouch. Annie's first class consisted of four students, and she thrived in this atmosphere, especially at convincing conservative Anglican parents to, like, educate their daughters. Let your daughter come to school. Nice. Uh-huh. Over the years, St. Hughes grew, and while never a self-proclaimed activist, Annie had a progressive sympathies in women's, on women's questions, including the opening to women of Oxford College degrees. Like, and, should we educate women? Well, see, that yes. was the whole yes. thing. It's like, well, yeah. you can come here, but we won't give you a degree. Right. You can go to school, yes. but you're not ever going to you're never welcome gonna get to a do all of the work. Uh, right. Yeah, and women's suffrage. Now, Eleanor Jourdain, who was born on November 16th, 1863, was a vicar's daughter, one of ten children. Her maternal grandfather was Charles Clay, known as the father of ovarioatomy, which is the surgical removal of an ovary or ovaries. And so I can only assume uh, we are related, yes. which makes us the eight-time great-great-granddaughters of ovariometry. Ovariometry. I'm which means that we are totes qualified to speak about what the things your doctor doesn't want you to know. Fuck yeah. I'm here. Back to Eleanor. Doctors hated him. Doctors hated him. Nellie. Eleanor Nellie, as she was known. So we have Annie and Nellie. Between the ages of 14 and 18, she attended a private day school in Manchester, which allowed her to go on to study at Lady Margaret Hall in uh, 1883. In 1886, she was one of the first women to take exams for the Modern History School and the first woman to undergo a VIVA, which is short for Viva Voce, which is an oral exam akin to defending your thesis. Oh, okay. Viva and Voce, living voice. Uh-huh. She was uh, second in oh, her class. Nice. For a short period, Nellie was the private secretary to the wife of the Archbishop of Canterbury, Minnie Benson, and then she advanced to assistant mistress at Tottenham High School and later Clifton High School, and in 1892, she co-founded the Corin Collegiate School in Watford as a private boarding school, boarding and day school for girls. Cool. And by 1990, the school had 100 pupils, and then Nellie began her next endeavor. Excellent. She moved to Paris and rented a Riva Gauche flat with the daughter of a Sorbonne professor who had been on the Corin staff. I could not tell if the professor was on the staff or the daughter it's like someone was on the staff. This is a misplaced modifier. <laughs> this has been your yeah. English teacher moment. I need some clarity. Seriously. It doesn't matter You're because fuckers. Nellie and the daughter uh, started Nellie and the, the daughter. daughter started the like post senior year study abroad in Paris for the Corin students. They originated gap years. They did. 
Nellie kept this flat from 1900 to 1914, and she vacationed there often. One of her first guests back in 1900 was Annie Moberly, who was an acquaintance from Oxford at St. Hughes. The women bonded over women's education, and Annie asked Nellie to come to St. Hughes and be her vice principal. Okay. Nellie accepted, and the women decided to spend more time together in order to really get to know each other, and this is where our story begins. This is where it begins. On August 10th, 1901, Annie and Nellie toured the Palace of Versailles. According to their later account, which we will definitely get into, Mm -hmm. the women, quote, walked through the rooms and galleries with interest, though they constantly regretted their inability through ignorance to feel properly the charm of the place. Okay. I've been to Versailles. It was nice. (laughs) Yeah. I guess I was uh, unable through structural deficiencies to feel the charm Inable, of the place. Inability through ignorance to feel properly the charm of the place. Sure. Yeah. Okay. My inability to feel the charm of Versailles was uh, more informed by like being packed in like a sardine and discovering uh, that maybe I have claustrophobia. <laughs> it was, hey. I was hot and it was hungry. I was, I was 13. Um, <laughs> this is bullshit. I didn't leave the house a lot. <laughs> no. When the tour was over, the women were chilling in the Hall of Mirrors. Sure. Um, when Annie suggested they go see the Petit Trianon. Yes. This, as the name suggests, is a small neoclassical style chateau located on the grounds of Versailles, specifically part of a larger royal retreat known as the Grand Trianon. Now, I want to make sure everybody knows that French is my native language. Right. And yes. So yeah, yeah, my yeah. pronunciations will be unimpeachable. Impeccable. You have the ear, which I believe was mentioned in Princess Days. Thank you. <laughs> so don't fucking at me with yes. your shit, France. Oh, I thought that was egg. It is. That's <laughs> my favorite French joke. Why doesn't a Frenchman have two eggs for breakfast? Why? Because one is an oof. <laughs> <laughs> I love that bit. I do. Thank you. I'll be here all week. Tip your waiters. Sorry. The chateau was built between 1762 and 1768. And in 1774, Louis XVI gave the chateau and surrounding grounds to Marie Antoinette. So she could, like, live inside a giant dollhouse, custom built to to require as little interaction between guests and servants as possible, including a pulley system to lift entire dinner tables through the floor. Right. So that she could pretend that she was poor. She, she could pretend she was poor, and here she could escape the formality of court life and, like, really get away from the burden of her royal responsibilities. Mm-mm. I recently listened to a, you, you know, it's a podcast you're wrong about, yes. about Marie Antoinette. Yeah. And, yeah. and it was really like, no, she was actually, like, a young girl, and this was terrible. This was really terrible <laughs> It's really fucking yeah. awful. Yeah, and they were like, how dare she spend money on these things? And, like, meanwhile, she's like... That's, like, my job. Right. What am I supposed to do? What the fuck am I supposed to do? only thing anybody told me I was supposed to do. Have children be pretty and buy clothes. And buy clothes. So this is not an anti-Marie Antoinette podcast. So there may be quibbles, but ultimately she was quite young. Right. Yeah. Again, it's a surprise. A woman is hated for being a woman. Being a woman. Hey. What's up? So the ladies, they were like, we're sitting here. Let's go check out the Petit Trianon. Mm-hmm. And they checked their Baedeker and saw that there were actually two Trianons. Right. And set well, off. A petit. Yeah. Now, keep in mind, <laughs> the palace was over a mile and a half away from the chateau. Right, right, right. So we're way out into the woods. So it's not like, hey, it's just like, we'll just walk, walk, walk over the there. Garden. They're like, we have to check our fucking map uh-huh. to get <laughs> over there. And it's no surprise that they got lost. Right. 
without realizing that they'd gone like the long way around, they came upon the Grand Trianon. Mm. But in doing so, they accidentally walked past the path that led to the Petit, to the petit Trianon. Trianon. And soon they realized they were lost, and more importantly, shit got weird. As they, weird as, fun. as they wondered, they passed a deserted farmhouse with an old plow sitting outside. As soon as they saw the plow, the women said an oppressive, bleak feeling passed over them, Ooh. but they kept walking. Soon they came upon two men wearing long, greenish jackets and tricorn hats. Annie and Nellie assumed they were gardeners because there were tools and a wheelbarrow nearby. Mm-hmm. They asked the guys which way to the Petit Trianon, and they directed down a path straight in front of them, but they said it in like a weird sort of mechanical way. Mm-hmm. And Nellie asked again, and they said like the same thing in the, the weird thing, robot. Like an NPC kind of thing. Right. It's like a Twilight Zone. <laughs> uh-huh. It's like right over there. I'm sorry. What did you say? Right over there. Mm-hmm. And the women followed the path, and the horrible feeling intensified. Along the path, Nellie saw a cottage with a woman standing in the doorway, passing a jug of water to a young girl. They were dressed in unusual clothes, but more importantly, they weren't moving. They were just standing Standing there, there like a tableau vivant. At the end of the path, they came upon a clearing surrounded by trees with a small gazebo in the middle. The longer they looked at the scene, the more unnatural it appeared and the weirder it got and the more unpleasant it became. It was, quote, flat and lifeless like wood worked in a tapestry. And there was no light and there was no shade and none of the leaves were moving. Nearby sat a man wearing a large hat and cloak. And when he turned to look at the women, they freaked the fuck out Uh in a proper Victorian feeling of a moment of genuine alarm. Shoot. His face was most repulsive. Its expression, odious. Look, he's French. His complexion was very dark (laughs) and pockmarked. And Nellie said this. The expression was a very evil and yet unseeing. I felt a repugnance going past him. Uncanny Valley shit. I know. Annie asked Nellie which way they should go. And Nellie said, not fucking that way. That's like, for <laughs> Turn God, around. Not sure. And then they heard footsteps running up behind them. <clears throat> and at first they thought it was the gardeners. But when they turned around, there was nobody there. <clears throat> and then suddenly they perceived another man right up close to them, like seemingly from nowhere. His appearance was somewhat of a shock. But thank God this guy was clearly a gentleman. <laughs> Tall with large eyes. Large dark eyes and crisp curling black hair under a large sombrero hat. Well, yes. right. Somebody tall with a good physiognomy right. could not possibly commit crime. <laughs> this guy was not only hot, but like he looked really hot. Like his face was red from exertion. Oh, like heat hot, not just sexy hot. Uh-huh. And at first the women were horrified because they thought it was sunburn. And then they calmed down because he'd obviously run a long way. Whew. His dark thought he was a dark-skinned foreigner, right? But it was okay. okay. His dark cloak was wrapped around him like a scarf, and he great and he was greatly excited, calling out, "Madame, Madame, il ne faut pas passer par là." He waved his arms, and his words more urgent, "Par ici, cherchez les maisons." Oh no! Look at the house, and then look for the house. The house, and the man directed them to the right. Away from the pockmarked fiend. Dwight. And when the <laughs> women looked back to thank him, he was, was gone. gone. But the sound of running footsteps remained. <sighs> I'm legit creeped. I know. Me too, right? Know, it's really great. The women crossed a rustic bridge over a small ravine. A gentle cascade of water fell so closely that they could have reached out and touched it. But where was the water from? 
And where was it going? going. Beyond the bridge was the pathway that, pathway that led to the Petit Trianon. A lady sat on a north terrace. She had fluffy blonde hair and a large shady hat and appeared to be sketching. Mm -hmm. She turned and looked at Annie and Nellie as they walked past. I thought she was a tourist, Annie later wrote, but that her dress was old-fashioned and rather unusual. Her light summer dress was arranged on her shoulders in a handkerchief fashion with a little line of green or gold near the edge of the handkerchief, which showed to me it was over and not tucked into the bodice, which was cut very low. Right, okay, so it's just draped over her. Her dress was long-waisted with a good deal of fullness to the skirt, which seems to be short. I looked straight at her, but some indescribable feeling made me turn away, annoyed at her being there. (sighs) The women still felt like they were walking through a dream and everything was still and oppressive. They walked up the terrace to the chateau, at which time a young man stepped out, slamming the door behind him. Mm-hmm. He told the women, as it turned out, it wasn't, well, it wasn't actually a chateau, it was a chapel. Okay. He told the women the entrance was around the front, and they walked around the house and ran into a wedding party that was waiting mm-hmm. to go inside. And at this time, the oppressive gloom lifted, and nothing else unusual happened. Huh. It wasn't until a week later that Annie and Nellie discussed this strange interlude. Annie asked Nellie, do you think Petit Trianon was was haunted? And Nellie was like, fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Uh, Then they they didn't talk about it for three months. Was that creepy? (laughs) Okay, that's cool. And they didn't talk about it again for three months. So three months later, they were talking and Nellie, and during the discussion... Nellie said she did not see the sketching lady okay. at the house, to which Annie said, yeah, you fucking did, because she looked at us. And Nellie was like, no, I fucking did not. I saw a cottage. These are quotes. Yes, they are. <laughs> yep. I saw a cottage with a mother and daughter passing a jug. And mm-hmm. Annie was like, whatever. That I was earlier. did not see that. And this is when they sat down to write separate accounts of what happened, but only for themselves. Okay, yeah, like, okay, you go in that room and write down everything mm-hmm. you saw. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, yeah. That we did not talk about until a week later, and now three months later we're talking about okay. it. Okay. This would not be exhaustive research um, until it was, but we're not there yet. That's right. Uh, the women went back to teaching. On November 10th, 1901, Nellie was preparing a lesson on the French Revolution, and this is where she made an astounding discovery. Astounding discovery. On August 10th, 1792, 109 years to the day that they visited Versailles. To the day? Yes. Okay. The Tuileries Palace was surrounded and Louis XVI's guards were killed. The royal family were first into the hall of, forced into the Hall of Dissembly, where they were taken prisoner three days later, and the following month, the monarchy ceased to exist. That was it, yes. What could you mean? What does this mean? Quah. You're right. Annie and Nellie... Went back in time. This is the only, only explanation. Or, wait, there's another explanation. Is it aliens? They walked into a memory that Marie Antoinette had conjured when she was in prison, picturing her last peaceful moments on Earth. They could not agree. Okay, it was one of the two. Mm -hmm. For the next 10 years, Annie and Nellie diligently worked to prove that what they experienced was real and totally happened. Mm -hmm. And it shouldn't be too hard because the proof was literally... Everywhere. Everywhere. 
away. Annie returned to verse, the Versailles Wood in 1902 and got lost once again. As now she, you're just doing it on purpose, Look, Annie. Listen, listen. <laughs> shh, it's real. It's happened. As she tried to find her way out, she heard faint ghost music playing. It's a dead man's party. knocking at your door. Catching, she moved closer, catching the light and repetitive music. Mm-hmm. Later at home, she wrote down 12 bars from memory. Nice. In 1907, she showed those bars to a music expert who said that they dated back to 1780. She asked caretakers at Versailles about the music, and they said no bands were allowed to play in the park during winter, which is like when she yeah. went there. And regardless, bands could only play in one spot in the park, and there's no way that they could have been heard from the from petite where she was. Triana. Mm-hmm. In 1908, the women found the diary of Madame Elof, Marie Antoinette's dressmaker. In 1789, Marie only had a few dresses made, but there were two green bodices with large white fichus and Mm. pale yellow skirts. This agrees exactly with the dress scene in 1901, Annie reported. (laughs) In their original trip, Annie and Nellie walked across a small rustic bridge with a tiny waterfall, and they spotted a small circular building having pillars and a low surrounding wall, and they Uh passed through the French garden. Part of it was walled by trees. but Often called a folly. (laughs) But when they went back in 1902, they couldn't find any of this stuff. But eventually they found a map from 1783 (gasps) that showed everything Everything. right where it's been. Well, here's another thing. Remember that plow? I do. Well, in 1905, they learned that there was no plow at Petit Trianon, and there hadn't been for literal decades. However, they read the book La Petite Trianon by Gustave Desjardins, which was written in 1885, that Louis XVI kept an old plow at La Petite Trianon for years, and it was sold during the French Revolution along with the king's other belongings. Hmm. Oh, oh, oh. In 1907, they located a picture of Louis Plow and found it identical it to exactly the one they the saw. Plow. I mean, there's oh. a lot there. Those oh. dudes in green uniforms that gave them directions, the Queen's Swiss Guards. The Serge Les Maison guy was actually coming to warn Marie Antoinette that the mob was coming was to get coming her. To get and the him. sinister pockmarked man? was no other than the Comte de Vaudreuil <laughs> native French. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. A favorite of Marie Antoinette's, which I guess makes him evil. He was Creole, after all. I was going to say, well, he was dark-skinned and pockmarked. Was he a Jew? He was Creole. Okay. And actually, he was an enemy to the queen. He persuaded Marie Antoinette to ask Louis if he, the Comte, could mount a production of The Marriage of Figaro, the play. Uh-huh. As this work is blatantly anti-monarchy, anti-government, and anti-French society, it was a highly incendiary performance and Louis the 16th was not pleased saying that this performance was cause the Bastille to fall. You're right ladies, we're bringing it back to Bastille Day. Bring it around the Bastille Day which was yes, 2 days ago. 2 days ago. Yeah. Yeah. Annie and Nelly <laughs> took all of this evidence of their supernatural claims and wrote a book called an adventure under the pseudonyms Elizabeth Morrison, who's Annie, and Francis Lamont, who is Nellie. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's like we need pseudonyms for this book. Francis, that's there we go. There we go. Here, published in 1911, the book was a 
Smash. Sensacion. Well, well. 11,000 copies by 1913. That's like 1913 copies. Right. <laughs> <laughs> They're worth way more now. <laughs> That'd be like 50,000 copies. That's right. That's exactly. right. With, just. <laughs> with later editions published in 1924, 1931, 1955, and 1988. To be fair, in each of these late, later editions, especially the early ones, the story expanded quite a bit mm-hmm. going from we didn't think anything weird happened at the time and didn't talk about it until a week later to like six months later we decided to compare experience and write down what we saw however haters are everywhere sure and the women's claims <laughs> hindsight is 2020 came under scrutiny <gasps> Bitch. the adventures the events described in an adventure uh, differed from earlier accounts that the women sent to the Society of Psychical Research, which was founded in London in 1882 and still exists. It still exists. I'm sure, like, Arthur Conan Doyle, his own yeah, ass was right there. No fucking shit. A review of the book by a woman named Eleanor Mildred Sidgwick exists in the Proceedings of the Society for Psychical Re- of Psychical Research, and it suggested that the women's had misinterpreted what they had seen, which is highly dickish. If I was you ask gonna say, me. how did they misinterpret this? Are you serious? There's a plow on the te- on the steps, right? Also, high church Oxford academics said it was supernatural and called the women's Christianity into, into question. question. By but they were like, pardon way, me, vicar. But they were way too late because in the FAQ section of an adventure, they said, "quote." Both of us have inherited a horror of many forms of occultism. We lose no opportunity of preaching against this, them as unwholesome and misleading. We have the deepest distrust in and distaste for stories of abnormal appearances and conditions. We studiously avoid as utterly lowering all spiritualistic methods of communication with the dead. We right. belong to no new schools of thought. We are the daughters of English clergymen and heartily hold and teach the face of their fathers right we are anglicans and not rabble rousers right which is a tight way of saying how fucking dare you accuse me of spiritualism we are christian women i didn't make this up but but as we all know accusing women of being anti-christian is just another way to call them lesbians also true in 19 52. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. In 1952, well after Annie and Nellie had died, a Jamaican-born woman and descendant of the Comte de Vadrule named Lucille Iremonger wrote a I'm book. I'm sorry, would you spell that? I-R-E-M-O-N-G-E-R. It was her wow. married name. Iremonger, like hate maker? That's awesome. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like <laughs> my new last name. Like I said, it was her married name, but as we will see, it's like legitimate. Right? Gotcha. <laughs> she wrote a book called The Ghosts of Versailles, Miss Moberly and Miss Jourdain and Their Adventure, A Critical Study. John Corleano wrote an opera called The Ghosts of Versailles. <laughs> she was a student at St. Hugh's and determined to either clear her ancestor's name, which I mean, like, I mean, okay. he did that shit himself. Okay. Like, really? <laughs> um, she also claimed that the women had frequent affairs with their students and their experience Ew, was what a the lesbian hell? Based on uh, what? Ironmonger. Based they, on the fact that neither of the subjects are alive to defend themselves. They didn't get married, which means they're, they're lesbians. lesbians. And if they're lesbians, they molest children. Right. But most also, importantly, they, like, they make up stories. Yes, her fucking ancestor. Um, 
Actually, this book said that these women were so distracted by their sexual deviancy that they misinterpreted ordinary people and objects as being from 1789. That happens to me all the time. And then they became so obsessed with proving their story, which would in turn prove that they weren't distracted lesbians, that they convinced (laughs) themselves that all of this was real and all of this was based on the fact that their story evolved over several editions of the book. Yeah, no, I remember the other day uh, you came over to get this, uh, like, big Tupperware that um, yeah. from us. And, uh, yeah, like, it was hours later and you showed up. And you, I you'd just been distracted I by your lesbianism. distracted by lesbianism. Yep. So many gorgeous-ass girls between my house yeah. and I. And, like, actually, you dreamed that Tupperware, Amanda. Uh, we do oh live God. in the thick district. <laughs> <laughs> so now, here we go. A different writer suggested a different kind of sexual deviancy. Oh, good. Go fucking know This great. is fucking amazing. Excellent. Okay. I'm excited. In 1965... Oh, good. Philippe <laughs> Julien, a French illustrator, <laughs> art historian, biographer, esthete, novelist, and dandy... And dandy. ...published a biography called Prince of Esthetes, Count Robert de Montesquieu, 1855 to 1921. <laughs> Marie-Joseph-Robert-Anatole Comte de Montesquieu de Finzac. Your French is so good. Oh my it's god, amazing. I know, right? I know. I know. Like, you know there's like that, that board of language in France? That's right. Like, like Catherine I, Deneuve called me. Hello, Catherine? It's amazing, isn't oh, it? Oh shit, I know. So, <laughs> your, Yeah, your phone is blowing up right now. I started to mention it. It's all Catherine Seriously. Francois Mitterrand? Hello. Wow. Oh, I've anyway, been dead for six we're, years. We're going to call him Count Robert. There you go. Was a French Bob. esthete, symbolist, poet, art collector and dandy who had a house at versailles he was reported <laughs> to have a house at versailles listen dude he was born in 1855 oh okay yeah there you go he was 1855 the year of the clown ryan what yes sweet yeah. lord Fuck. it's all coming so, together um he was born in the year of the clown i know meanwhile like That's we right. invented clownery we're friends <laughs> he was born under a clown sign I was born on the wagon of a traveling oh, show. Yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> Count Robert was reputed to be the inspiration for the Baron de Charlus and Marcel Proust's In Search of Lost Time. Mm. And he also won a bronze medal in the Hacks and Hunter combined event at the 1900 Summer Olympics. Hacks and Hunters. I love that. Sorry, uh-huh. what? That's horses. It's, yeah, oh, Hacks, okay. Hacks as a carriage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like, gotcha. it's probably like, have your horse pull the carriage and then ride your horse over some jumps. Or it might have involved shooting. You know? Who knows? Horse, but as you can imagine, this is the highest order of gay shit that is this being is, reported. Yes. <laughs> In this book, Philippe Julien, who wrote this biography of Count Robert, suggests that Annie and Nellie had actually stumbled, stumbled upon a fancy dress party thrown by Count Robert and his secretary lover, Gabrielle Ituri. That I would buy. Here is what Philippe yeah. had to say. This I would buy. I have been to a lot of elaborate costume parties thrown by homosexuals. This one, this theory I will buy. Here's what Philippe had to say. Did the visitors intrude upon one of those reenactments of the past the poet devised for a rigidly exclusive circle of chosen friends? Rigid. <laughs> this would explain the panic of the more or less disguised participants mm-hmm. and the manner in which a short man slammed a door in their faces. Because uh-huh. remember, they went up and he was like, no, you got to go around. Slam the door in their face. Probably the woman in the yellow skirt was actually a dude. 
Amanda? Hey! Stop talking. Sorry. Perhaps the part of Marie Antoinette had been entrusted to someone who had the queen's profile and wore the queen's clothes, but whose sex was different than hers? And perhaps the moment when the English spinsters were about to burst in, a photographer was in the process of capturing a moment of bizarre beauty. There is also the possibility that this strange appearance and these stranger voices of another country and of another century, the two friends stirred the imagination of the two English women and induced hallucinations. So either Annie and Nellie hallucinated their adventure because they were totes les, uh-huh. or they hallucinated their adventure because they were prude spinsters. Okay. Well, lesbians have hallucinations. It's just like known. Yeah, it's just Write your answer on a postcard and send it to the Consumer Information Pueblo, Pueblo Colorado, Colorado, 81009. <laughs> Yeah. No, I I'm like I feel weird and uncomfortable here. Who are these people? I'm like, yeah, that's a gay sex party. I've been to those. <laughs> but did you hear ghostly footsteps? Although the identity of the <laughs> authors was <laughs> um, you know, in like for the boys with James Caan, I think, and Bette Midler. And Bette Midler, yes. yes. And she's like, did you did he show you his purple heart? And she's like, well, it was purple, but I don't think it was his heart. Arf and arf and arf. <laughs> uh, so that's did you hear ghostly voices? Well, <laughs> pro Bette Midler podcast. Oh, pro Bette Midler podcast. Would like you to remind everyone. Although the identity of the authors of an adventure were well known to those close to them. Annie and Nellie were not publicly named until 1931, which was after Nellie's death, but before Annie's. Prior to their deaths, the women claimed to have had other paranormal experiences. Uh-uh. After visiting the Louvre in 1914, Annie saw an apparition of a, an, an unusually tall man wearing a gold crown and toga who was obviously fucking the Emperor Constantine. Yeah, uh, yes. Match. During World War One, Nellie claimed a German spy was hiding in St. Hughes, which may have been more paranoid than paranormal. Yeah. Annie Nellie, uh, look, you're 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 devaluing your story. Okay, kinda, seriously. Kinda hurting your own case here. Annie served as the principal of St. Hughes until nineteen fifteen when she retired at the age of sixty nine. <laughs> nice. At that point, Nellie took over the job. The women Shared costs in a house nearby. Thanks. However, <laughs> Nellie took a turn and developed autocratic tendencies, which may have something to do with imagining the German spy in the house. Mm-hmm. And in uh, November 1923, she persuaded the council to fire a tutor named Cecilia Mary Addy, who was apparently cha- challenging Nellie's authority. Uh. Addy protested, which caused all the tutors and several council members to resign, as well as the resulting in boycotts by tutors at other Oxford-affiliated schools. Huh. Damn. The insinuating si- ensuing situation was widely reported in the press, and an in investigation to which Nellie said like fucking bring it yeah. uh, was undertaken and um, throughout this Annie was fiercely devoted to Nellie but unfortunately when it became clear that Nellie was asked to resign she suffered a heart attack and died on Whoa. April 6 1924 just like Damn. fucking ask me to resign I know. <laughs> Annie who was the on the governing council of St. Hughes was made an honorary MA in 1920 when Oxford started giving degrees to women under I'm the, sorry, what year was that? 1920. Uh, 1920. Oh, my God. Did How you... long has Oxford been around? Since the 10s. Yeah. Since <laughs> the 10s. By 1920. Okay. I, I, there's a 
thing t- that I've seen that's like uh, historical things you didn't realize. Time. I love those because you're like, I do. I, I do. I knew that. Yeah. Did you know that Oxford University predates the entire Aztec empire? Wow. Yeah. Before, oh. during, and after the Aztecs. Oxford. That's bonkers. What the man. fuck? Yeah. So part of me is like, maybe no, they're still assholes. They, yeah, no, the, the, like, like seriously, like if they spent the, the entire. Tens, I'm sorry, it's the twelves. Yes. Okay, it's they the spent 12s. the entire time being complete fucks. Right. <laughs> so um, under the name Elizabeth Morrison, which was her name in the in an adventure, right. she published in retirement a series of religious stories for children. She died at her home in Norham Road, the the when she shared costs with uh-huh. Nellie Ann at the age of ninety on May fifth, nineteen thirty seven, and was buried three days later at Wolvercote Cemetery, where Nellie was also buried. Aww. In 1981, uh-huh. ITV broadcast a movie Fuck. called Miss Morrison's Ghosts. Yes! Starring oh. Wendy Hiller and Hannah Gordon. Nice. Two Wendy women, Hiller sounds familiar. Two women who have been a lot of stuff that I haven't seen. Most notably, both women were in David Lynch's The Elephant Man, yes. which came out six months prior to this television event. Okay. Hannah Gordon was in the original Upstairs Downstairs okay. for like the whole thing. And uh-huh. Wendy Hiller starred as, a Lila, as a Liza Doolittle opposite Leslie Howard in the 1938 film Pygmalion. I her name. I, she's been in fucking. Everything. I was gonna say her name is super familiar. I'm gonna look at uh-huh. her. IMDb she later. is. She's like Phoebe Nichols. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, oh, okay. Listeners, liberties were taken. <laughs> Although there was so many a 17 year age gap between Annie and Nellie, called Miss Morrison and Miss Lamont in the movie, Annie was portrayed as an ancient crow dressed in black, serving heavy. Heavy Mrs. Danvers vibes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she struggles and complains of the heat as they walk across Versailles Park and talks about how, like, you kids these days have it so easy. Well, and Nellie, on the other hand, is young and golden and wearing, like, light clothes and reading a guidebook and generally having a great time. Right from the start, when Morrison interviews Lamont to take over her job upon retirement, it's pitched as a generational battle. But then all of the Versailles stuff happens in the first 12 minutes of the movie. Oh, great. And I'm glad I knew what the fuck was going on because I watched (laughs) it and I'd be like, what the hell is going on? Thank goodness I did a lot of research before watching this (laughs) film. Yeah, no shit. The film has given me nothing. Nil. It's interesting because the Versailles parts are, are filmed in a very early i can't i don't even know what the process is but it's like not quite a like but it but it looks more like things are like looking at things through like <laughs> wavy glass of vaseline mm, on the lens things are yeah. crazy and then like it's the like- reveal of the pockmarked man is like <laughs> You know, it's like way louder than the rest of the dialogue. Like the uh, end of that Twilight Zone episode where they turn around. Ah! I know. Glamour shots ass lit. Yeah, right. <laughs> so everything after the seeing is a deep examination of Edwardian class and gender struggle with a heavy emphasis on Miss Morrison's upper-class suffragette tendencies. Okay. She also liked to go around and talk about how her father was the bishop of Made Up. Mm-hmm. It, well, you know, my father was the bishop of like, Lower Dickington. Lower Dickington. And... Um, <laughs> Miss Morrison is fucking furious to see Miss Lamont, like, punting on the Thames with a mm-hmm, vicar. Mm-hmm. This same vicar says that Miss Morrison is a very lonely woman in need of Christian affection, saying she only tolerates his coming around because only men can give communion. If she oh, had fuck. her way, all men would walk around ringing a bell and crying unclean. 
Yeah, mostly lesbians are like that. Mostly it's dull sure. well, and it's confusing, a and like I mean... being high didn't help. But you could watch the whole thing on YouTube, <laughs> and that is the Versailles time slip. That's a fascinating story. Yeah. I read articles from Mental Floss, Vintage News dot com, which is okay. kind of a shitty website. Uh-huh. Um, the Oxford Dictionary, Dictionary of National Biography had uh-huh. injuries on both Annie and Nellie, which was A plus, and I found An Adventure and Philippe Julien's bio of Count Robert on archive dot uh-huh. org. There was a place called Maria Antonia dot forum dot com. There was one guy's blog about old English television called Views from a Hill. Nice. And there was an article on skeptoid.com oh nice and what's really funny is all the stuff you read they were like well we were unable to prove that it actually happened you're like no it did not happen it did not happen <laughs> it might work in your could have anyway okay oh mrs morrison's ghost wendy hiller i'm looking her up because i know she's been yes. in something the next film she made after miss morrison's ghost was making love <gasps> yes she was oh, in making oh, love yes. with harry hamlin and harry on king oh my god uh, Sheriff Harry Jackson. Truman. K. Jackson, yes. She Making was in Elephant love. Man, Curse of King Tut's Tomb. God, that's amazing. I know I've seen her. That fucking things. movie. She's in Murder on the Orient Express. Uh-huh. Uh, and David Copperfield. She made Mrs. Micawber and David Copperfield, Man for All Seasons. I mean, she's been in a yeah, thousand a things. Yeah, a ton of like, toys in the attic. But yeah. Man, the album by... By Aerosmith. Exactly. Yes. She was. And no, I had never heard it and never heard of it. Yes. Well, the done. Victorian times live. Were they too lazy and they hallucinated it? Or were they not lazy enough yeah. and they hallucinated it? I think definitely <laughs> not lazy enough. Also, if it, you're getting it on the regs, you don't hallucinate so much. It's true. Yeah. It's true. It's true. It's true. Yeah, it's the only thing that could tamp down the hallucinations. The lesbian hallucinations go nuts well, unless we get Well, you know, sex. women's hysteria. We do. That's the only thing that keeps your womb in place. The wandering womb. <laughs> Fuck. It's what if my womb wanders to another state for an abortion? <laughs> <laughs> my womb has left the country. My womb has left a small card so, indicating when it will be back. I highly recommend you guys searching archive.org. Yes. You have to like sign up and not pay anything, and then you can like check a book out for an hour. Oh, okay. And yeah. you can, get, and it's cool. a perfectly scanned. Yes, yes, I have seen that. Copy. And you can check a book out for an hour. For an time. hour. And um, you can read both An Adventure and you can read Philip Julien's. <laughs> I want to read Philip Julien's. Count Robert de Montesquieu. <laughs> Esthete. <laughs> double and, dandy. And dandy. <laughs> gay oh, shit. Gay shit. That's the best shit, man. Sorry, it's just true. It's, <laughs> I mean, it really is. I know, for real. It's like the line on Glee when like Kurt and Mercedes went in and she's he was like, she's black, we're gay. Together we make culture. <laughs> and, and, and it's true. true. It's true. Sorry, it's just true. So, well, that was fantastic. <clears throat> it's still it's summertime. I hope that wherever y'all are, you're spritzing some water on your faces and keeping cool. Uh, it's winter in South Africa. It's winter in South Africa. It's How true. you doing, Australia? And Australia and Australia and uh, you know South America, South too. America. Yeah. Right, Anya's at school. She's got students. Bullshit. That's total My bullshit. God. I've still got two more weeks of summer vacation. And, oh uh, man, is it only two weeks? Days of summer vacation. Girl, school comes along, along just to end it. Yes. Oh no, not yet. I'm still. We still got good stuff to go. And thank you for joining us. We're always thank happy you. to have you around, Biggie. 
This is your shout out. Hey, Biggie, what's up? Guten Tag. Aaron actually does speak German fairly well. Guten Tag, Biggie. Much better than French. Biggie, Biggie, Biggie. Ich Can't wanna, you see? Ich wanna gleich um die Ecke. Sehr lecker. Sehr lecker. Lecker, lecker. All right. Auf Wiedersehen. Abiento. Cheers. Fart. Madness Madness is hosted by Aaron Byrne and Amanda Clay with occasional outbursts from Brian Byrne, who is me. Brian Byrne records and edits the show. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please, if you enjoy the show, uh, rate us and leave a review. Leaving reviews helps people find the show. And the more people listen to the show, the more people you'll have to talk about the show with. I mean, just mull that over. You can also listen to us online at madnessmadnesspodcast.com. You can find links to our social media on madnessmadnesspodcast.com. You can email us your thoughts about stuff at madnessmadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>